Welcome to Galaxy Moonbeam Nightsight. We are the retro show where we talk about anything and everything having to do with those wonderful baby boomer years growing up. If you were born between 1946 and 1964, you qualify for membership. Even if you weren't born between those years, you qualify for membership because this is the podcast and it's free for the listening. We are so glad you joined us today here on Galaxy. I'm Mike. I'm Smitty. And we're here today with our guest who has come back to visit us a second time now, a good friend of ours and a Galaxy good guy, uh, Mike Bryant. Mike Bryant is the past president of the San Diego Historical Bottle Association at Well Society, as well as the local coin shooters. Now, coin shooting is not taking quarters out and putting them on top of a rock out in the desert and shooting them with your dad's uh, twenty-two rabbit rifle. Coin shooting takes on a whole different meaning, a, a techie meaning, but we think you baby boomers are going to really enjoy this show because there's going to be some answers, and uh, even in response to some of the emails we get about folks that lose things and they think those items may have gone over the years into the depths of Mother Earth. Well, we've got a guy here who's going to give you some great tech hints on the world of metal detecting, finding coins, relics, goodies, uh, buried treasure, and for that matter, anything that falls victim to gravity that you would like to have back in your hands or something that someone else lost that you might want to find and put in your hands. Well, Mike, it's so good to have you back. Mike Bryant, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine, and it's a pleasure being here again. Thank you very much. Well, good. We're actually in the waning months of August 2015, so it's a Sunday afternoon. Much, much too hot for guys like you and I to go out to the parks and the beaches and go metal detecting. So I'm glad you showed up here at Galaxy because we're going to talk about the world of metal detecting for the next few minutes here on the show. Uh, Tell us about how long you've been at it. First, tell us what metal detecting is and coin shooting and metal detectors in a nutshell. Well, I guess I should start out by just a little bit of background, a little bit of history on metal detecting. And it's kind of interesting. In uh, 1881, there was an assassination attempt on President Garfield. And he was shot in the back. And so they took him uh, back to the White House and laid him down. And they brought all the, these uh, fancy doctors in from all over to take a look at him. And in those days, they didn't know about sanitation. They didn't know about washing their hands. They didn't know about germs. So what, the, what did they do? They stuck their finger in the hole trying to locate the bullet. And all these different doctors would come in. They would stick their fingers in there. And what eventually started out as a real small hole eventually became very big. The president uh, was doing okay, but... They needed to find that bullet, so they went to the most leading uh, inventor at that time, was Alexander Graham Bell, and they asked him, is there anything you can do? Well, he had developed a machine that he called the induction balance machine, and he noticed that if any metal would pass in front of it, he'd get a reaction on the machine. So he thought, what the heck, I'll I'll bring this machine, and we'll try it. So he brought the machine to the White House, and he, he ran it over the president's back. And it just didn't work. It was erratic, and it was just going off crazy, and he just couldn't understand. It worked fine back in the lab. He just could not understand why the machine didn't work. He goes back to his lab, and he's just pondering. He doesn't understand. In the meantime, the president gets an infection 
from all the different fingers and stuff, the germs, and eventually dies from the infection. And if they had just probably would have sewn him up, he probably would have lived. Then it it turns out that Bell found out that they had put the president on something new. It was a box springs mattress, and it's loaded with springs inside. So his machine was working, but it was picking up the box springs in the mattress, not just the bullet. So had he been on not on that mattress, they probably would have found the bullet. Whether or not they would have been able to get it out or not, that's a different story, but at least they would have found the bullet. So that was the very first metal detector. Then in uh, 1925, a gentleman named Gerhard Fischer, he developed the first portable metal detector and got a, actually got a patent for it in 1925. And that's pretty much the way they stayed until the 1960s. Then an electrical engineer named Charles Garrett. He uh, had used metal detectors in the military, and he wasn't happy with the way they performed, so he decided he was going to design a new metal detector, and he did. He revolutionized the metal detecting field, and the metal detectors we use today were pretty much the designs of Charles Garrett back in the 1960s. They've refined them. They've gotten better, easier to use, and they're able to discriminate. They're able to tell you pretty much what the item is, what kind of coin it is, whether it's a ring, jewelry, relic. So they've gotten really sophisticated uh, over the years, but it all goes back to those three gentlemen, Graham Bell, Fisher, and Garrett. Well, tell us about the first time you went metal detecting and enhance that story with the first, I would say, valuable thing to you that you found and how you felt. What got you into metal detecting? And I'm sure you were probably at a a young age. Well, believe it or not, my my grandfather, he was born back in the 1880s, and he always used to have a couple of magazines around his house, Argosy and True West. And I used to love those magazines, and I read them from cover to cover. And there was always a story in the magazine about buried treasure or lost treasure. And there was always a little ad in the back, a little coupon to write for a free catalog from Fisher or Garrett or something like that. So that always intrigued me. But it wasn't until I was a little bit older in the 1980s that I was at a swap meet here in San Diego, and I saw a bounty hunter metal detector and the guy wanted $30 for it. And so I've always had wanted a metal detector, so I bought it. And it was just a simple TR, transmit, receive. It's pretty much similar to what uh, Bell had invented. You put a piece of metal in front of it, underneath it, and it would go off. It couldn't tell the difference between a nail or a horseshoe. It would still go off. And so that was my first detector. And just like anything else, um, you have to learn how to use it. And so I was a little disappointed that I didn't perform the way I wanted it to. So then it was time to move up to a more sophisticated uh, uh, detector. Now, over the years, I, I mean, I found my fair share of Mercury dimes and Walking Liberty halves and jewelry. But I have to say, um, my two favorite finds over the years was I was over in the Imperial Valley in El Centro, had been detecting an elementary school. I was walking back to my car, and there was a football-sized uh, vacant lot that I had to cross, and I was just swinging my detector, just walking back pretty quickly to my car, just swinging my detector as I go, because you never, you never turn it off till you get to your car, because <laughs> yeah. you never know, you know. And I got a signal, and I, when I uncovered it, I was really surprised. It was a big brass or bronze medal commemorating the starting of the breakwater in Long Beach and San Pedro for the L.A. Harbor, and it was really, really ornate, and it was just, it just amazed me that this medal would turn up in. Imperial Valley. How it got there, I mean, I never know. And then a few years later, I was in Arizona, up there at an old railroad camp, and I got a signal, and it turned out to be a rivet um, from a pair of Levi's, and it still had a piece of cloth left on it. So 
me, I'm not satisfied with just finding it. I, I want to know the story behind it. So when I got home, I started researching it, and I wrote to the Levi Strauss Company up in San Francisco. And it turns out that that rivet was from the 1870s, and it still had a little piece of original cloth on it. Well, when the 1906 earthquake happened in fire in San Francisco, it destroyed all of Levi Strauss's buildings, his archives, and all the, all the things that they had. And they didn't really have much in the way of artifacts prior to 1906 in their museum. So they asked me if, if, if they could have it, and I did. I donated it to the museum, and I was really, really glad to. So both those items monetarily are not worth that much, but intrinsically, they, I mean, to me, those are two finds that I really cherish and mean a lot to me. And that's really one thing, Mike, that not everything that you find is a treasure, literally, but it's stuff that is just neat because you found it and you've, you know, you, you went out and found it. And you probably, if you hadn't have been there at that moment with that metal detector, it'd probably still be buried in the ground. Right. And finding it's just, just the beginning. For us metal detectors, our treasure hunters, the greatest joy is being able to return an item that we find, like mm-hmm. a ring. Mm-hmm. Returning a ring is it's just incredible. The people are, especially if it's a wedding ring, uh, you know, the women start crying, oh, you yeah. start crying, and it's just, oh, we live for that. I mean, yeah. we we really do live for that. I'm in a I'm in a club, the Metal it's Coin Shooters of San Diego, and our members. I mean, we just really go out and try to return items that we find, you know, it, and we help people. You know, people can contact our club, and people from our club will go out, and they've usually been pretty successful at finding. Uh, lost rings and items, too. So not only is this a, a fun hobby, but you also seem to provide a public service. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Wonderful. We've, we've also assisted the police departments here, different ones here in San Diego, looking for uh, weapons that have been tossed and things like that. So we help law enforcement. We help citizens. And our members will give their business cards to the lifeguards at the beach and say, if anybody loses anything here, they can call me and we'll come back down and and to see if we can find it, find it, return it for That's them. wonderful. Certainly before our show is over, we'll tell all our listeners how they can contact you or contact the club. But, uh, Mike, was there something like a, a golden era when all this began, when it really caught on, uh, that people began buying metal detectors and going out there and looking for stuff? I mean, uh, you, you know, you mentioned that you began doing this a number of years back, but was there like really a, an era, the 60s, the 70s, when it just really caught on? Yes. Back, like I mentioned earlier, back in the older days, like the 60s, in the early 70s, metal detectors were not very sophisticated. They found metal. And so you'd end up digging everything, nails, pull tabs, aluminum foil to whatever. You'd be digging it. So you spent a lot of time digging. Mm-hmm. Well, in the 70s, the metal detectors started to become more sophisticated. They're able to discriminate. You could turn a knob and that you wouldn't find nails or you wouldn't find pull tabs. You could set it. You only could find coins if you wanted. So they became more sophisticated, and people were going back out to areas that had been searched many times before, and also they were going deeper, and they were finding new things. And so it started to become very popular again in the 1970s. And then, most recently in the last few years, there's been several television programs that feature uh, metal detecting, and they've become very popular, and people uh, want to get into metal detecting. So I'm getting calls, a lot of calls from people. And our club, our club has uh, almost 70 members now. It's growing. Every time something on TV happens with a metal detector, all of a sudden people start showing up to our club. And they would be amazed. I'm telling you, people would be amazed if they saw what our members find each month. Visitors come. We have a show and tell where everybody lays out what they find. And people are just blown away. They just can't believe it. And in San Diego, we're blessed during the summer to have great weather at the beaches. Mm-hmm. And a couple of things happen. People put suntan lotion on, and or they go into the water. When you go into the water, the cold water uh, contracts your fingers. The rings fall off. 
They fall off because you've got suntan lotion on them. Some people take their rings and jewelry off, set them on their blanket. They forget about it, and they take, pick up the blanket and give it a flip, and everything goes flying. So there's always a constant renewal of lost items during the summer. Wow. And it's not unusual. We have retired members in our club. It's not unusual for these guys every month to come to a meeting and have found 50 or 60 rings. That's now, amazing. to us, a ring is a ring. It might be a cheap $1 ring or it could be a $1,000 ring. But these guys, for the next two or three months, will be bringing in 50, 60 rings each. And there's several of them. And that's just our members. There's a lot of people who don't belong to our club that go metal detecting. And so there's a lot of stuff that's being lost every single day. You know, Mike, we've uh, talked about metal detectors and the craze that hit. I, I, I got hooked on metal detecting in I, probably 1966, around the time I got hooked on bottle collecting. And like you say, the uh, the detectors of that era were very basic. Some were actually tube models that ran on dry cell batteries. My first White's 4000 uh, Coin Master, it took time to heat up. And it was very unreliable, very unsteady. But uh, fast forward 50 years to today's technology, and we're talking 50 years of the heyday of metal detecting. You and I are kind of kindred spirits in so many ways. We collect the same things, basically worked at the same place, and that's where we met. But uh, where are things to be found? Where, If you were to tell somebody, well, things can be found here or there or in this particular area. Parks, I will see on any given Saturday a couple of guys, retired guys, maybe their wives or, or some folks out there wondering about the metal detectors. But with the exception of parks, city parks, where can people find stuff when it comes to metal detecting? Where? Well, the key to finding things is research, research, and more research. You have to do your research. Find old maps. Find old books. Find old tourist guides. Find out where people used to be, where they used to hang out. Uh, I was fortunate enough to talk to a lady in the backcountry here who told us they had a road camp on her property when they built the old highway through the 20s. And I asked her for permission. And that's one thing. You have to respect people's property, and you have to respect the land. So we, you always want to get permission before you do anything. And when you dig, you want to leave the area better than it was when you found it. You do not want to be leaving holes or areas where people can see that you've been because what's going to happen is they're going to people are going to ban you from from going in there. And so you want to make you have permission for number one. You got to have permission from the landowner before you go in any place. Public areas, you know, you you're okay, but you just want to respect the land and make sure that you don't damage it. Go on people's property because it gives us a bad name. And when someone who legally tries to come by and do it, they, the people get mad and won't let them do it. But basically, you want to look where people have been. Look at old maps. You might see an old park that's no longer there now, but it was there in the 1920s. That's where you want to go. That's where you want to go there. Here in San Diego, again, like I say, we're blessed with that we have the beach. where it's uh, during, the, during the summer months, it's just loaded, renewed every day with lost items. And then during the winter months, we have our storms that actually uncover the items and also bring in items that have been lost out to sea. But what's nice about our area, within an hour, you can be in the backcountry or out in the desert. And in the desert, there was forts, there was mining camps, there was military, old military camps. Uh, General Patton was all over our desert. He had camps everywhere. People love to go out there and search the old camps and, and everything. So you want to be you want to be respectful again. You don't, you don't want to be... Uh, going into areas you're not supposed to be, and you you know you you have to respect like Native American sites. You don't want to pick anything up. It's just not worth it, you know. It, and you, you want to be everything legal, 
And that's the fun part. It's not fun if you get arrested or thrown in jail for doing something you shouldn't be doing. We've talked about the public places and the and the areas and the research, of course. Let's bring it down to the lowest common denominator, that being maybe maybe someone's home. You know, I'm from Los Angeles. Our, the home I was raised in was built in 1908. And when I got my first detector, which was a Roth, I think it was $29, I actually I found wheat pennies. For those folks who don't know wheat pennies, they were made between 1909 and 1958. I believe, or 59. I found mercury dimes. I seem to have a, a good fortune when it comes to silver, older silver dimes. But let's talk about someone's own backyard or maybe a grandmother. The grandparents bought a home in, in 1929, and it was handed down to different members of the family. Can items like this, like we're talking about, be, be found in somebody's backyard? Absolutely. I, I should mention that every time I get a new detector, I would always search my parents' front yard and backyard. And and you would think it would be searched out. I mean, I've searched it many times before, but with, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. the detectors are getting more sophisticated. They're getting better. They're going deeper. And I'm always finding items, and it just really amazes me because I had been over that many times before. And so, and, you know, and you can go up to neighbors and ask them, you know, if you could detect their back, their yard or their front yards. And, again, you have to be very careful. Our One thing about our members in our club, we're so good at removing items that with just an ice pick or a screwdriver, we can oh, yeah. use that to pop a coin out of the grass, and you'd never know we've been there. Wow. Some people come in and cut big plugs, and oh. they cut big pie slices, and that doesn't work here in, in San Diego because of our, our weather. We don't get that much rain, and you're going to kill the grass, and it's going to look bad. But we can come in with just a screwdriver, and we can locate the coin, pop it out of the ground, and you'd never even know we'd been there. That's amazing, Mike. I always thought you had to go in with shovels and picks and all kinds of stuff like that. Shovels, <laughs> oh, even at the beach, shovels terrible. You know, yeah. it, it can, you can leave a big hole. We always tell everybody that we have a code of ethics in our in our metal detecting club, and one of the items is, is fill in your holes. Yeah, you know, you, you figure it at the beach, add nothing, but you know, somebody come jogging along and, and step in a hole, it could break their it ankle. Break their you ankle, know? exactly. So you right. want to make sure you fill in your holes and pull it, bring out all your trash, because that's another nice thing. We we keep our trash. So yeah. if someone asks us what are we finding, we can show them. Look at all the nails and sure. you know and garbage that we've collected off the beach, and we put it in the trash can. And sure. so we're doing our, our civic duty there. Well, good, good, Mike. Well, you want to remind all our listeners that you're listening to Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside here on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. I'm Gilbert Smitty Smith, along with my good buddy Mike Bragg, and our guest is Mike Bryant. We're talking about finding uh, metal stuff, metal detecting. And, uh, Mike, let's uh, turn the tables just for a a little moment here and talk about something else, finding old bottles, finding old things like that. Now, you're apart from being a a guy that looks for metal stuff, you also look for old bottles and things like that that are buried. Talk to us a little bit about about that. That's correct. And there is a little crossover there. A lot of bottle diggers use metal detectors to help locate dumps. And can collectors use them, too. They use them to find the metal. And usually when you find metal, you're going to find uh, a trash dump. And that's where you you like to dig, looking for old bottles. Now, bottles, people would be surprised that they knew what some bottles are worth. Mm -hmm. You know, what's bad is uh, if people go on the Internet, they have a bottle, they go on the Internet, and they'll see a bottle similar to that, and they'll think their bottle's worth that. There's so many variations, color and condition and things. But uh, people would really be surprised if they knew what some of these old bottles are worth. And what's, that's another good reason to, to belong to a club. Because when you belong to a club, you learn what to look for. And you're, you're, you're going to make mistakes. All of us do it. We've all bought bottles that we thought were valuable, and they turn out to be junk. Mm-hmm. And that's how you learn. You have to buy some junk before you get the good stuff. But eventually, we, like at our, our, our San Diego Antique Bottle Club, 
we have programs each month, and we try to have programs on bottles. We also have them on collectibles, too. Mm-hmm. And we like to give tips on what to look for and how to clean bottles and where to look for them, how to sell them. And we have these shows all over the United States, bottle shows, and there's just beautiful colors of bottles and and uh, rare bottles there, and there's mm-hmm. usually displays. If there's a bottle show in your area, I, I really recommend that you, you go check it out because that will give you a good idea of what bottles are worth. And if you have bottles, you can talk to the people there. Most of them are, are, are well, more than welcome to look at your bottles and tell you, mm-hmm. if, you know, if they're worth anything. And uh, so you can, you can have a, a really good idea. You could really, it's a fun hobby, and there's not too much digging areas you can dig now uh, legally. And again, everything should be legal. Right. You should never go on property with it. You don't have permission to go on to. You could end up in jail. You really could. And it's not worth it. I imagine, Mike, when you're looking for for bottles, obviously, if you're digging around for bottles in a, in a place where you've gotten permission and you're and you're okay doing that there, that you have to be careful. You can't be you know uh, you can't be too aggressive. Otherwise, you might damage the bottle. Right. Absolutely. Not only that, you have to be careful. We've had a couple of uh, happenings here in San Diego, and I know a couple in Los Angeles where people have dug. And the holes collapsed on them, oh. and a couple of people have died digging. So you have to be really careful. Yeah, and you have to be careful. You use a probe, and you probe around. And the, the place that most bottle diggers love to dig are old outhouse sites, old privies. People would go into an outhouse, sip their whiskey or whatever in their little <laughs> flask, and then they would just drop it. Now, people think, ooh, outhouse, that's, ooh, who would want to dig there? But after 100 years, it's it's organic soil. There's nothing right. going to harm you in there. I mean, you're going to get more chance of getting hurt from a rusty can or something than you would from the soil. Uh, but I do have to mention, one of our members uh, just got valley fever, and he's a digger. And so I don't know if he got it from digging or where he was digging at, but he just, it, the recovery, it took him a couple of months to get to get over it. He was pretty sick. Wow. But so I, there is that. We have to worry about too, but uh, uh, they love to dig outhouses, and you would use a probe, a long metal uh, pipe, with a pointed end on it, and you use that to locate the soft soil. And then once you find that, then you start digging, and you and there's going to be layers. The bottles mm-hmm. and stuff are going to be down pretty far. Mm-hmm. But yes, but once you get down to that area, you have to take it easy. Some of these uh, bottles, like what we call pumpkin seeds, are really thin, and it doesn't mm-hmm. take much to break them. Mm-hmm. So you have to be real careful. But yeah, a lot of times people are probing and they hear glass clink. Oh. And they go, uh-oh. Oh. But they know they're at the glass. Then you have to really be careful. How about that? So a lot of the bottles are found in what were used to be old outhouses, old, sure. old privies. Do you just find them randomly out in different places, much like you'd find coins? Well, not exactly. Again, I mentioned earlier, research. Research and more research. Mm-hmm. There's uh, these maps that are called Sanborn maps that you can mm-hmm. usually find them at the libraries. And most serious hunters have their own copies. But believe it or not, back in the turn of the century, the turn of the 19th century, early 1900s, before the sewer system came in, all these outhouses are listed on these maps. And mm-hmm. so all you have to do is look at these maps. They can see where the outhouse was on a piece of property. They'll go down there, and they can measure uh, the area and uh, figure out exactly where it was. Wow, that's amazing. And the bottles that you that you find uh, were they are they mostly liquor bottles or uh, medicinal bottles or a little bit of everything? A little, just a little bit of everything: whiskey, sodas, uh, food jars, food cans, uh, just a little bit of everything. Do you also find things like uh, old tin cans and uh, yes. soda cans and things like that? You believe it or not, there's a lot of money to be found in there. So the thorough diggers will also screen all the dirt that they bring out, or have a metal detector there and run over it. But to be honest with you, the coins are not in the best condition usually when they've been in that type of soil. They call it environmentally damaged, and so. But it's still cool to, to find an old coin, half cent, or uh, you know, V nickel in yes. the sand there and the soil. So it's kind of neat. Sure.
That's interesting, too, even the feeling that guys like you and I get when we find something. And we know uh, there was an occasion where I, I was breaking in a new metal detector earlier in the week, and I found a religious uh, a cross. And it was at a location where a house was uh, torn down, and I, I believe the cross probably fell under the stairs. It was in great shape, so it fell into soft dirt. And uh, we gave it to a friend of ours, Mike, uh, Vanessa, and she cherished it. It was nice because she likes that kind of stuff. But imagine the neck of the person that hung on there. We figure it was probably in the late teens or 20s, early 20th century, the life they left and, and what happened. And They're probably, I would almost guarantee, they're probably not with us anymore. But some of that memory, that richness, even if you can't find the owner, just knowing that this was somebody's piece of jewelry, this is somebody, somebody's heirloom or, or somebody's necklace, and then we found the hat cap from the Canadian infantryman, which was an infantry unit that was wiped out in France in World War One, And just the soldier and how that got back, he was probably one of the few survivors. And just the rich history, even if you can't pedigree the item and get it back to the owner, the owner primarily probably being long gone, just to feel that you've brought something back from the earth, from the dirt that would probably have spent eternity in that dirt, but you happened to be at that place at that time when that detector loop went over that item and was able to recover it. And you probably have hundreds, if not thousands, of stories like that of items that you know will no never get back to the original owner, probably because they're dead, but that you've basically salvaged them or rescued them. And what are some of the more personal items you found? I know religious jewelry, of course, we are just talking about that sure. cross, but rings that might have an initial or a a coin that had been etched with a some type of uh, date or an issue. What would you say really strikes you as probably the most touching memento or most touching item you've ever found? Well, I have a great story on that. We were at the bay one day having a picnic, and there was a, a young mother there who was uh, swinging on the swing, and she was playing with her kids, and she noticed her wedding ring was gone, and she started crying. And uh, we said, what's wrong, you know? And she said, I I've lost my wedding ring. It's, it, and she's fa frantically digging around in the sand with her hands. Well, luckily, I only lived about two miles from the, from the bay, so I ran home and grabbed a metal detector, and I started detecting the sand. And I had a, quite an audience watching me. And we, when you're doing sand, you use a sand scoop. It's just a little mm. uh, item that you use that sifts the sand. So I was sifting the sand, and I got a signal, and I had turned my back to him, and I scooped the sand, and there was the ring. But I didn't let her know that I had found the ring. So I continued to detect it just a couple more minutes, and then I walked up to her again and said, what does that ring look like again? And she's crying and everything. And and she says, it looks, you know, she described it to me, and I pulled it out. I says, is, is this the ring? And I showed it to her. And she started crying. I started crying. The people around me started crying. Oh, wow. And it was just an absolutely awesome feeling. Wow. It was just Great. That's great, Mike. And right now when Mike Bragg was uh, speaking, I was moved to think that there's a human story behind, even if it's a coin or a bottle, there's a human story there somewhere. We may not know what it is, but there was a human story exactly. there at some point. Exactly. Mike, we're almost out of time. How can people get a hold of you or get a hold of your clubs if they want to get more information? Okay. I'll give you our, our club website. It's www.sdcoinshooters.com www.sdcoinshooters.com. That's SD like in San Diego. And we like to say, you know, we're the guys that people like to make fun of at the beach. <laughs> they always laugh at us when they see us at the beach. But I'll tell you what, 
we always laugh when we go to the bank. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, is there a way for people to get a hold of you directly if they have any questions or would like to check something out? Sure. My my email address is sdmike, like San Diego Mike, sdmike at san.rr.com. That's san.com. Very good, Mike. Well, any of you out there who are interested in uh, perhaps uh, detecting for coins or metallic objects or bottles in your area, you have a wonderful resource here in our local club and in the person of Mike Bryant. So uh, definitely uh, contact him or contact the club if you uh, have any interest in that. And we're almost out of time, and we sure thank Mike Bryant for joining us. And we want to remind you that we would like to hear from you. If you have any memories of finding anything neat, or maybe you're into metal detecting or finding old bottles, we sure would like to hear from you. Our email address is galaxymoonbeamnightsight at gmail.com. That's galaxymoonbeamnightsight at gmail.com. Our website is galaxymoonbeamnightsight. All of our shows, all of our library of shows is available for your listening pleasure at iTunes and on Mix cloud.com so we invite you to tune in and listen to any of the shows that you may have missed or would like to hear again and that's all the time we have on this show we want to thank again our good friend mike bryant for joining us and we hope that you'll join us again on our next program and until then i'm smitty i'm mike and i'm mike bryant and we'll catch you next time here on galaxy moonbeam night sight on the galaxy nostalgia network This is the Galaxy Nostalgia Network.